twin adult daughters. Uh, one is in Joburg and one is here in the church, uh, and a wonderful son-in-law and uh, a new granddaughter. So that, that's a bit, bit about us. I work in the financial services industry, and uh, it's exciting to be uh, bringing uh, the message to, to here this morning. But uh, enough about me. Uh, let's just uh, say a quick prayer before we start. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray this Pentecost morning that your Holy Spirit will work powerfully in us as we examine Nehemiah chapter 5. Please challenge each one of us to search our hearts, to understand how you would have us respond to the message that you have for us this morning. Amen. Now you might be wondering uh, what this picture has got to do with Nehemiah 5. It's uh, just to start with setting the scene, as John said, we're busy with an initiative called Agents of Change in the church. Uh, It's been going for quite some time, probably nine, ten months now, Uh, and what we did was have a consultation in November last year where we invited anybody in the church to come and just discuss how we could make a bigger impact uh, and how better mobilize uh, the rich resources we have in our church in terms of making uh, changes uh, in our community and being that salt and light uh, that we're called to be. Uh, What came out of that consultation, and that's one of the things as part of our journey that we're going to be uh, tackling today uh, is that there is not, not enough. Can you just go on to the, the ne- next few slides, please? Just Oh, dear. Anyway, let's... Uh, what, what, what we... Uh, Resolved to do were several things, but uh, what was the clearest thing was that there are so many people in our congregation that are already involved in uh, so many different areas of, of, of service in terms of community involvement and upliftment that we needed to make that more visible for all of us. And so what you're going to see in the hall afterwards is part of that, and we've really been blown away. Uh, we have 29 different organizations that are represented here when you go through to the hall, that are doing amazing things in so many different areas. So we'll talk a bit more about that uh, at the end. But uh, essentially, uh, making uh, existing things more visible, because I know a lot of us say, well, uh, the problems are so big, what can I do? I'm not sure how to get involved. Uh, there are plenty of areas for you to get involved, just uh, chatting to the folk that are involved in so many different areas. I don't have time to go into them, uh, because they're 29 and we, we don't have time, but uh, so, so many exciting things that, that people are involved in. So please pray about how you can be involved. It, it, it can be quite, quite simple, really. Uh, they all need finances to start with, so that, 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 that's a start. All the organizations need prayer, and there's lots of practical help uh, that, that you, can, you can get. So please chat, chat to those uh, folk when you, when you go through to the hall. Sounds like it, eh? Are, are you winning there, guys? Anyway, I'll, I'll make, make a start without uh, PowerPoint assistance. Just to uh, re- recap, we've been doing uh, the series in Nehemiah. 
and we've uh, done the first four chapters, and we are now getting on to chapter five, which we've entitled The Haves and the Have-Nots, and uh, that's a big challenge for us in our country, so uh, hopefully what I have to say today will be a challenge to all of us in terms of applying uh, what we read today about Nehemiah uh, and uh, his dealing with difficult, uh, a difficult issue that he was faced with uh, around the poor. Look, looks like we get getting back, back, back to action. But uh, just to recap where we've come so far, Nehemiah in around 440 BC, he was the cupbearer uh, to King Artaxerxes, who was the Persian king. The Persians were the, the uh, superpower of the day. And he got permission uh, to come back to Jerusalem and uh, had a passion to rebuild the city walls. What was a very interesting little aside, which uh, I think how it touched on, was that we think that probably uh, Queen Esther uh, was related to King Artaxerxes uh, in, in that she was married to King Xerxes, who was the father of Artaxerxes. So I found that very interesting, and possibly that's why King Artaxerxes was so accommodating and, and gave Nehemiah assistance and resources, uh, because maybe Esther's influence had followed through to the, to the next generation. So just an interesting little aside on the kind of generational influence of a simple poor refugee woman who'd been taken away to a foreign country that became a queen. And we are certainly back in action, tackling the big challenges uh, of uh, the tough things we face in education, etc. Can you can you just keep, keep on going? Uh, okay, let's let's pause there. So we've spoken about supporting existing ministries. The other things we want to uh, tackle is mobilising our church family to get personally involved, educating and sensitising uh, all of us on the theology of social justice. The ministry to the poor, encouraging meaningful cross-cultural relationships, and also praying for direction uh, for new things that maybe God wants us to get involved in in this area. Next slide, please. Uh, and so what we're doing is uh, putting together portfolios, and, and this is where we really need this to become a, a joint effort, and we encourage people that are passionate about various areas here to become involved. So. What we have here are the kind of portfolios that we're looking at, not exclusive necessarily, but this is our start. Healthcare, employment and entrepreneurship, education, communication, administration, advocacy, that's uh, kind of being, being a voice in terms of legal change, uh, where we feel that's necessary, where there are injustices. Emergency relief, uh, we've seen that in terms of fires and floods, etc., where we help out, and uh, special projects. So we're going to get teams together of like-minded people that are passionate about those particular areas. So please come and chat to me or one of the other leaders, and we can slot you into those groups. And out of that will come uh, more concrete plans as we journey uh, uh, along this way. So uh, let's now move uh, into Nehemiah chapter 5. Uh, and the haves and haves-nots, the, the next slide, I think, uh, sh shows us a good picture of what the haves and haves-nots look like in the... Uh, many areas of our country with uh, very poor uh, people living next to affluent people. So just a picture of what uh, a bit of our own haves and have-nots. Okay, if we can move on to the next one, please. So, and on to the next one. We've already done that, uh, that summary. And so Nehemiah uh, started this project. Uh, as you would have heard if you were here in previous sermons, there were lots of different groups that worked 
working on different sections, rebuilding the walls and the gates. That's just a, a map of uh, what things might have looked like uh, way back in 400 BC, uh, the various gates and the walls uh, as uh, Nehemiah and, and his team uh, worked on the walls. There was a lot of opposition and resistance. Uh, a lot of the, the, the other uh, governors and rulers around didn't want the Jews to become a strong power again, and so they were desperate to stop this rebuilding. And we heard about that uh, if you were at the sermon last week. Okay, move on to the next one, please. So we now move on to the great outcry. Uh, Nehemiah, after dealing with the serious threats from the external enemies, is now faced with a great outcry from his own people, where poor Jews were complaining about being exploited by rich Jews. I think we can relate this term, a great outcry, to what we experience almost daily in our own city and country. Poor people often cry out in desperation and we've become immune and desensitized to the cries of the poor because we hear so many outcries. This is a dangerous place for us to be. The challenge is what are we going to do about the outcries around us? Do we ignore them and hope the problems go away? Or do we get involved as we see today that Nehemiah did? Now, what caused the great outcry? There were really three things that caused uh, this big upset and outcry uh, from the poor. The firstly, firstly was the building program that, of, of the building of the wall. It caused economic pressures because normal income generation for many of the builders was interrupted. Many people had neglected their day jobs to focus on wall building and thus were earning less money. Secondly, there was also probably a bad harvest that year, which resulted in food shortages and high prices. And thirdly, perhaps the most significantly, the Jews had to pay heavy taxes to the Persian overlords, as they were an occupied nation. This next uh, slide just shows a map of uh, what the Persian Empire looked like. The Persians had overthrown the Babylonians and had become the regional superpower ruling most of the territory from Egypt, Asia Minor, and right through to the Middle East, to the borders of modern-day India. Uh, and Persia is uh, where Iran is today. Uh, what is interesting about Persian foreign policy, I think this was touched on in one of the previous uh, sermons on this topic, was that the Persians allowed conquered people to live in their own lands, practice their own religions, uh, with local governors being responsible for collecting the royal taxes on behalf of the Persian rulers. Now these tough times resulted in poor Jews needing to borrow money to pay taxes. Some struggling farmers had to mortgage their land and some families even became so desperate that they had to sell their children as slaves. We see in Deuteronomy 15 verse 7 that the Mosaic law encouraged the rich to look after the poor and even lend their money in hard times. Limited slavery was also allowed as a way to pay off debts. Now, let's read together uh, verse 4 and 5, which was the, the great outcry. Since others were saying we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards, although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, 
yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Now I'm going to focus on those two highlighted words, uh, enslaved and powerless. In reality, the complaint of the poor is the same throughout the ages, as demonstrated here in Nehemiah 5. Firstly, a sense of being absolutely trapped or enslaved in a vicious circle of poverty. Go on to the next slide, please. Poverty leads to oppression, which leads to injustice, which then leads back again to poverty. Poverty is a trap, which is like a treadmill that you can't get out of because in reality it is systemic. Although the poor desperately want to escape, they often can't because they are stuck in this oppressive cycle. It isn't simply a case of pull yourself together and find a job. If you live in a township, you are trapped in a home of around three by four meters with four or more others and one light bulb. There's no place to do homework and to study quietly as much as you'd like to. And so one can become enslaved in a system which is really hard to break out of. I met a young man recently in his early 20s, who desperately wants to complete his schooling. The huge problem he's faced with is that he has no money for transport to get to classes. Secondly, the feeling of powerlessness. This is a genuine cry of the poor, wherever they are. The poor generally don't have strong family support structures, good education, social connection, and clout. No one really listens to the poor. And so, often the only way they know how to get attention is to stone and burn and blockade. Because then someone comes and listens to their grievances. They are genuinely powerless. We talk a lot about empowering and empowerment. But the church really needs to listen and attempt to help create long-lasting solutions. It isn't just about giving somebody a hundred rand, as good as that might seem, and in that way appeasing our conscience that we've done something. We have to move in for the long, long, long term. We need to build and supplement health and education systems. We need to provide for more hand-up facilities, which are practical and uplifting, without being condescending and paternalistic. Empowerment also means doing what the poor want help with and not what we think they need. Move to the next slide, please. Now we, we move on to how Nehemiah responded. Nehemiah was a man who felt deeply. In chapter 1, we read that when he heard about the state of, of Jerusalem, that he wept and mourned for days. Now he burns with anger when he hears about the hardships of the poor. Do we have an honest indignation and anger about the plight of our poor? Are we sick of the poor? Or are we sick about the plight of the poor? We need to ask the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts so that we can feel the pain of the poor and the marginalized. Another important lesson that we can learn from Nehemiah is that he always reflected before acting. 
I think that's an important lesson uh, for some of us. Uh, I, I know many people uh, kind of speak before they think, and uh, that can get us into trouble. Uh, Nehemiah is a good example of uh, contemplating things before he spoke and acted. We, we read in this passage that he took counsel with himself. We need to be pondering the plight of the poor around us and thinking very carefully about the challenges and injustices they face. And as we'll see later, what is very interesting, and for me rather surprising, is that after Nehemiah pondered this great outcry from the poor, he actually realized that he and his nobles were also part of the problem. After reflection, Nehemiah then acts decisively, bringing charges against the nobles and officials. The Mosaic law didn't allow the charging of interest, and that was the main charge that he brought against the rich exploiters. Before we continue uh, with uh, Nehemiah, I think it's useful to look at some of the concepts in the Jewish law around the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year, because it talks to the situation of the restitution that uh, Nehemiah uh, instructed in this situation. Uh, you can read more about it in Leviticus 25 if you want to do some more research. And it's rather radical stuff, I must warn you. Every seventh year was a Sabbath year where the land was not to be actively farmed, debts were to be forgiven, Jewish bond slaves freed, and even given livestock and food, etc., to get them back on their feet again. Even more radical was the Jubilee year which was every 50 years, when landowners who had lost their land could take it back. We certainly don't have time now to debate the contentious land reform issues in our own country, and it may be dangerous to draw any parallels between ancient Jewish law and our reality here in South Africa in 2018. However, we can get a sense for God's heart where issues of justice, equality, and fair distribution of land and resources which are very close to his heart as they were part of the laws that he gave to his chosen people. Now, Nehemiah calls out the problem and names it and boldly reprimands the exploiters in verse 9. And he says, what you are doing is not right. Are we calling out injustice or remaining silent? In verse 10, Nehemiah publicly confesses his own personal guilt in the injustices which had been committed against the poor. For us, this is a reminder that the senior leaders of God's people are imperfect and fallible human beings who can also make mistakes. Do we acknowledge our own sin and complicity in things which displease God? And are we praying enough for Christian leaders? Now we move on to the restitution that Nehemiah instructed in verse 11. We see that the people were instructed to not only return the interest that they'd been illegally charging, but also return the fields, vineyards, orchards, and houses that they had taken from the poor. Restitution is an important theme in the Bible. For example, in Luke 19, we read the account of uh, Zacchaeus, the short little guy, the tax collector. And he said to Jesus, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back 
four times the amount. Are there any areas uh, where we are either corporately as a church or as individuals need to be considering restitution in some form? Something to reflect on. In response, in verse 12, we see that the rich agree to Nehemiah's request and they solemnly take an oath to keep their word. In verse 19, or rather verse 13, sorry, Nehemiah reinforces this agreement with a symbolic action where he shakes out the folds of his robe. And that matched the words of the curse that follows. This, is a, this type of curse formula was a, way, a conventional way of compelling commitment to a course of action. We don't have time this morning to get into uh, the last section of the chapter. Uh, you can read it yourself if you want the detail, but I've called it Nehemiah's mitigation. Uh, what, what Nehemiah does in the, these last couple of verses is that he gives a fairly long explanation of how noble and kind he was not to demand the governor's allowance that he was entitled to. And he talks about the large number of people that he was looking after in his household, 150 people that he fed and gave good wine to, etc. And he didn't actually take money from, from the poor to, uh, to use uh, as, as he was in, entitled to take, take money uh, uh, in terms of a governor's tax. So having been complicit in the exploitation of the poor, Nehemiah now reminds God of the good he has done and asks for his blessing. As we read in verse 19, Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. And now moving on to our own reality, the plight of the poor in our own country is a serious crisis. We live in a country that has the largest gap in the world between the income of the rich and the poor. Over half our population, some 30 million people, live on less than 992 rand a month. I think I need to repeat this. 30 million of our fellow South Africans live on less than 1,000 rand a month. Since we live in one of the most unequal societies in the world, we each need to examine our lives closely to identify where we, just like Nehemiah was, may be complicit in some way in the oppression of the poor. Poverty is the church's problem, not the government's. Jesus clearly commissioned us to take care of the poor and needy. In his first ever public sermon, recorded in Luke 4, Jesus talks about the poor and the needy. And in his very last sermon on earth, two days before his crucifixion, which is recorded in Matthew 25, Jesus speaks extensively again about the poor and needy. If we can just move on to the slide, those are just some pictures of the poor. To make it a bit more visible, let's just read, read this passage together. So this passage is entitled, The Sheep and the Goats. You might recall it when uh, people are separated that are, are going off to heaven and those that aren't. So we're just going to read a couple of these verses. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We've been given the responsibility for the poor and needy, reaching them and caring for them in a real way. Charity is not the solution for poverty. Economic empowerment is the answer, as we see here in Nehemiah 5. We need business people who are willing to stimulate our economy for the sake of the poor. God's call today is to business people who through their skills can reverse people's economic situations. Not just giving handouts, but creating genuine economic stimulation on a mass, mass scale. Today, God is calling business people to create long-term economic reversal conditions. Is that perhaps you? We need to ask God to soften our hearts so we don't cross over and walk on the other side of the road like the church people did in the story of the Good Samaritan. We need to be like Nehemiah and take bold action to tackle the crisis, both as individuals and corporately as a church, so that we can be salt and light as we are called to be. We need to call it out, as Nehemiah did, wherever we encounter injustice of any kind. We need to be boldly saying what you're doing is not right. And where we may be part of the problem, we need to examine how we can make restitution to try to set things right. A simple example may be for those of us who are fortunate enough to be able to employ others to work in our homes and our businesses. Are we paying these people a living wage? Or do we only pay the going rate, which often means as little as possible? Now, in conclusion, I want to wrap up just with four lessons that we can learn from Nehemiah. Firstly, I think we need to pray for soft hearts. We need to be moved to action to address the plight of the poor. Secondly, we need righteous anger to call out injustice. Thirdly, we also need to each reflect on our own lives and like Nehemiah, face up to where perhaps we have failed personally. And fourthly, we need to make restitution where this is necessary. This can be painful and uncomfortable, but a necessary journey for the privileged. Let's just close together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the challenges of this passage. 
There's some tough things we've considered. And we really just pray that you would minister, minister to us, Lord, and through your spirit, that you would soften our hearts. You would challenge us to action. Lord, forgive us for where we've been selfish. It's so easy for us to just withdraw into our own little comfortable circle uh, and just indulge ourselves and look after our own interests. But Lord, help us to be looking outside of ourselves. Help us to see the world like you see it, Lord. Soften our hearts. Touch our hearts, Lord. Help us to make a difference. There's such huge problems in our country, and we know that your church needs to be doing more, Lord, and we just commit ourselves to being your servants in this area, and that you would speak to each one of us, and if we can all just put together our our own little things that we can bring before you, then like those few loaves and fishes that are multiplied, we know that you can take uh, our small contribution and just multiply it in a powerful and miraculous way. So we thank you that we are working with a powerful partner who can do much more than we can see or even think. And we really just ask that you would lead us and guide us, that we can be the salt and light that we're meant to be, and not just a little holy huddle that gets together together and enjoys ourselves. Amen. Right, now, we deliberately made the service a bit shorter today so that you can have a bit of time